Hello, you're very welcome along to another RTE Rugby podcast. We've uh, plenty to get through today. Ulster away to Leinster this weekend in the BKT United Rugby Championship. Top of the table clash, 7.35 at the RDS on Saturday. We'll also look back on Munster's bonus point win against Connacht at Thoman Park at the weekend and a few other bits and pieces from around the world of rugby to look at as well. Delighted to be joined by a couple of All-Ireland League coaches, Eddie O'Sullivan and Ian Keatley with us this morning. Eddie, how are you doing? You're uh, you're flying high at the moment. Last time you were on with us, it was early enough days you were doing okay, but uh, a fantastic run of games for you with Buccaneers over the last few weeks. Yeah, yeah we've been in a bit of a role, but... <clears throat> Um, I suppose whatever I was trying to do in this league, it's a very tight league. If you look at the results, there's nothing in it most weeks. Trying to make sure that you know when you get into the second half of the season that you're in a reasonably comfortable position. Um, and you know the way the league works out is that all the games I think are pretty tight. So you could go on a if you had a bad block, you could find yourself back down the bottom end. So yeah, we're not getting carried away. Just keep plugging away and make sure we get to a safe position as soon as possible, and then see where you go after that. Really, that's the plan, you know. Yeah, looks like an absolute dogfight of a league. Uh, Division won't be. Ian, head coach of UL Bowes, obviously it's been a, a difficult season for you. You'd you'd love to be in a in Eddie's position at the moment, but in fairness, you give Black Rock a really good run at the at the weekend. It looks like. Yeah, we're kind of in the opposite position to Eddie. Eddie's going really well. We're we're not going really well. But uh, if you look at the results, we've we've lost most of our matches, but we're we're, we're being very competitive. There's been, as Eddie said, there it's. Anyone can beat anyone. Black Rocker on top of the league. We're on the bottom. And we, we we got four tries. We got two bonus points, a losing bonus point, and a try bonus point on the weekend. So one or two things just when you don't have the the run of luck, or if you're not winning matches, you just you just lose out in that little bit of luck, that that bit of confidence. And listen, the lads are still confident that we can turn it around. So I'm pretty optimistic as well. We just need one or two things to go our way, and then I think our, our season can transform then. Hopefully. So this weekend, uh, top of the table clash in the URC, we've got Leinster hosting Ulster. Leinster, eight wins out of eight. Ulster, six wins and one defeat out of seven. Just that one defeat coming against Leinster earlier on in the season. But obviously they have the game in hand as well. But guys, I might just go back to the the U or the, the Pro 14 final of 2020. <clears throat> Leinster comfortably beating Ulster on that occasion. And after that match, Dan McFarlane speaking about Leinster saying, there's 14 teams in that league at the moment and there can only be one winner. He says at the moment there's a team that's outstanding and nobody is really touching them. Obviously Leinster got knocked off their perch last season as well. But if you we were to look at the the way Ulster and Leinster, the gap that there was there between the two sides maybe back in this time two years ago compared to the gap that's between them now. Eddie, how much work have Ulster done in closing that gap down? I've done. They've done a significant amount. Like their results have been outstanding. Now they've 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 a game in hand as well. They lost that game in South Africa that was cancelled, <clears throat> but they've only lost one game this season. So they're right up there. Um, I think I think Ulster are at their best when they get that balance to their game. That where they're they're they don't have to dominate up front, but to hold their own. They've a really good backline and they can really they play some stunning rugby. Um, they're bugbear. Has always been, I think, over the last years, I, I kind of got tired of saying it, is that their inconsistency with like a one good week, one bad week, up and down, and even within 18 minutes, they could play like sublime rugby for 40 minutes and then go off a cliff. I think 
that seems to have dissipated, which is great because there's a consistency in the performances now. Um, they're they're keeping the foot on on the pedal, you know. Um, they're probably smarting that the the game they lost was to Leinster in a monsoon. I was actually at that game, mm. uh, and and they had a game at least a drawn, and and you know Sexton lost the ball going over the line in in, in the rain. Um, so they're right up there at the moment. But this is a this is a watershed game, though. You know, like it's it's away from home. It's in Dublin. They got a result there last year. That won't be missed by Leinster, a chance to, to straighten it out. But yeah, I, I think they're pretty much where they want to be at the moment. Um, and I think for me, this this that their rugby's their style of rugby at the moment is really good to watch. They use their backs really well on starter plays. Um, they they use their packs smartly to set up their attack, and it, it's a good balance game. So when they strike that balance uh, and their forwards are delivering for them, they're they're right up there with Leinster. We know what Leinster can do, of course. You know they've got so many strings to their bow, but I think yeah, Ulster will be will be licking their chops at this. And if they were to turn Leinster over, you know, in Dublin, it would be a watershed game for them because I think there's a lot of chips on the table, not just the four points or whatever. It's the fact that you know these are the two top teams meeting. There's no excuses. You just get on with it and see what happens. And I think uh, Ulster will be will be advancing their chances, but. I still think Leinster at home when the when when there's a, a crunch game are always hard to get past. They just seem to know to get a result at home. Uh, but it's a game that everyone is going to be want to be watching. That's for sure. Yeah, and I think Ian, like it's kind of set up nicely as well because twelve months, pretty much twelve months ago to the day, nearly Ulster went down to the RDS and and won for the first time in a long time. And there was an air an, an element maybe that that was a little bit of a free shot for them because it's it, it was just so difficult to go down there and do it. They hadn't done it in a long time, but. The fact that they did that last year, did the double over Leinster, came close earlier on in the season. That like there is a little bit of expectation that not for Ulster to be winning this game, but at the very least to to really be giving it a good go. And it, you know, it's it's no longer the free shot maybe it was. Yeah, exactly. And as you said, they've they've definitely closed the gap. Um, they've really developed their game. They've got a nice strong drive them all, which they scored two or three tries on the weekend. But as Eddie said there, they, they can mix it up. They can go out to their backs and they're pretty creative now. I don't think Leinster will be forgetting Rob Hume's celebration after uh, he got that intercept try uh, last year when he was shrugging their shoulders as this, like, there's no big deal about winning in, in Leinster. So there will be a bit of bite from Leinster. And as Eddie said there, they won't lie. They won't, they won't let that... Uh, they won't lie over too easily, especially with their internationals coming back. But Ulster have definitely closed the gap, and um, it's 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 leading into an exciting little little battle between. They've almost become the two top teams in in Ireland. Well, in Ireland, but also in, in the whole league. Um, now the big thing I think Ulster, what they've really done this year and well, over the last few years, is they've created strength and depth. Um, I think if you in the past they would have lost one or two players, key players, and they would have dropped their standards. But now, I think their strength and depth throughout the whole squad they're really they're really becoming a formidable squad, even if they lose two or three key players. Yeah, and like as much as the depth, it is just fantastic. I think Eddie, like from the for the neutrals' point of view, we're a week out from a Champions Cup. Neither of them brought back their internationals last week, so the expectation is we're going to have both Leinster and Ulster pretty close to being full strength for what they have available. Yeah, and I think as well as the context of the, you mentioned the Champions Cup next week, um, you know, you want to go into that on the back of a good win, you know, a good a good result. So, you know, whoever loses on on, on the weekend is going into the Champions Cup on a loss. 
and you don't want to do that. And you can see that everyone's both teams are rolling out there, they're putting their best team in the field. Now, that's the beauty of it. Like we've had I, I what I miss is the interpros, um, where you know everybody's on deck and everyone's playing. Like we've had some interpros in the last few years that have the teams have been stripped down, and you know, everybody tries to get excited about it, but you know, to be honest, truth, truth of the matter is when when teams are missing five and six players each, it's hard to get excited about it. You know, it loses that edge as a as a as you call it as an interpro. Because I remember when the interpros, like when I was Irish coach, I used to watch interpros through my fingers at Christmas because the two teams would just knock lumps out of each other, and they're all coming into camp the following week, and you're just the walking wounded. You know, worried how many guys are going to be injured. But like we don't have a lot of those interpros anymore. The team, the team, the team seems to be stripped down. But this is one where everyone's on deck because the way it's timed and the fact that Europe's the following week and both teams are bringing back their heavy hitters, that makes it a real interpro. There's a, there's a lot at stake. There's the URC at stake, like who's who's going to be the top dog. There's, you know, Ulster have a, a kind of a watershed game for them in their season. If they can win, really boost their chance of thinking we could take silverware to share. And then there's heading into Europe on the back of a win, like all those things are on the table. So that's that's huge spice to the event. So yeah, I I think it's really the game of the weekend for me, you know. Yeah, and like there's just a there's a nice rivalry developing now over the last few couple of years between the the two sides. The fact that also did the, did the double last year, and Leinster they aren't a team that take defeat lightly. Like Leo Collins still speaks about the the Montpellier game last year, the one they had to to forfeit. That that got brought up again on on Saturday evening, just just Good casually point. by Leo Cullen. So he he's I've certainly noticed over the last year he's not someone that forgets a defeat or but forgets some, for, forgets something often. that that kind of happened them lightly, you know. It doesn't happen often as well. So yeah. Sure. So generally, win most of their games, so it's easy to remember the defeats there. <laughs> but the other thing the point you mentioned there was um, really that like in terms of the in terms of of the tournament. This is this is a I think a, a, cl- a colossal game for Ulster, you know. So like, like Leinster, it's not an existential threat for Leinster to lose next weekend. You still think they're going to be in the shake up at mm. the end of the season, but for 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 Ulster psyche, um, if they can win this weekend, it would really bolster their confidence that they're going the right direction, and and take that on into Europe as well. So and I think. T- the point you made just a moment ago, I would concur with it. Ulster and Leinster have become the crunch interprono. It used to be Leinster and Munster, but I, I don't think you can say that anymore. Like the Len- the Leinster Ulster games are the crunch ones, um, and people in Munster might like to hear that. But the truth of the matter is, is that the old days of Leinster Munster being you know the standout interpro I really want to be at. That doesn't hold the same water anymore. I think it's the Ulster Leinster one, and that's because Ulster put themselves in that position. You know they've been more consistent, and particularly this year they've really upped their game. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think it's the game of the weekend. Yeah, and like I, I don't think that's necessarily like a, a hot take or a, a controversial opinion when you have when Let's you have a rivalry where there were no, like, you know, when you have a rivalry where there are back and forth wins. Yeah, obviously this. Oh, I, I know. At this moment in time, it is, at this moment in time, it it certainly looks on paper to be the, yeah. the more competitive rivalry. It is the it is the it is the top rivalry in the pros. Let's be honest. Um, but uh, yeah, and I think that's Ulster deserve that because they put themselves in that position, you know. On on Leinster specifically, then, then Ian at the weekend, I was there at the RDS, the forty five win against Glasgow. 
they're obviously in an excellent position where they've won eight games. I think it's six of those eight, five or six of those eight with, with bonus points as well. So they have a nice little buffer at the at the top of the table. But they were nowhere near their best at the weekend. And if Glasgow had been even a little bit sharper, they could have made a, a half-decent game of it. Yeah, I suppose that's the scary thing, uh, what you're saying there about Leinster. <laughs> they weren't even firing all cylinders. They but, yeah, they have they have more gears that they can actually find. Yeah, they do. And, and But yes, they're still able to to chop and change their team. They've, it was quite a, a youthful team on the weekend. So th- those lads are getting experience. Um, they're getting game time. Rob Russell, what is he, 23, get, getting a hat-trick. Like, these players are developing, playing really competitive matches. And then you're saying they've got another two or three gears to climb. And then they they have that ability to bring back, what, nearly 14, 15 Irish internationals as well. So... I think I think Leo Cullen was a little bit he was a little bit upset after the match saying that they that he wasn't happy with the performance. Mm. That's just the standard that they've set themselves now. Um and maybe that is one eye on, on Ulster this week that he's making sure that uh, they don't get complacent, that uh they're making they, they know that Ulster's gonna be a tough test and they're they're trying to keep the, the players on their toes. But it's that pursuit pursuit for excellence that, that Leinster have. Um, that's probably driving them on to the to the next level and Ulster as we talked about there already are are trying to catch them and they have closed the gap so um I think Leinster's performance on the weekend yeah although not good they're they're still they're still scoring bonus point tri- tries and 40 points it's not it's not bad if you're not firing at all cylinders yeah that's the thing it's a it's a nice position to be in Eddie because I think probably that maybe there has been a and something around Leinster in the last couple of years where they look unbelievable for three quarters of the season and they've had a few years now where the you know the campaign has kind of fizzled out towards the end eight wins out of eight where there's you know still plenty of room for improvement that's a nice place to be in yeah I mean they can't they, they, look they're the top team in the league they've, they've averaged 33 points a game um, you know they've scored lots of tries they're in the zone the problem problem Leinster have is that this is standard operating procedure for them you know um, they do this all the time like they're top of the league every year the, the difficulty for Leinster is closing it out at the end of the year you're getting silverware out of it because the expectation is so like that's where they're that's where their real measure is what struggle Leo has and it's a good struggle actually like, like to be honest you know coaching a team at the top of the table is much more easier than coaching a team at the bottom of the table so his struggle is a good one, but his struggle is to keep that level of consistency when you're winning comfortably. Like again, last weekend, you know, just racking up points, but not playing that well. Because Leo knows that that's that's almost a false narrative for them because at the end of the season, you get into a dogfight. You don't rack up the points and you lose the game because you didn't play that well. Like it's, it's a kind of a coach's nightmare in some ways that you're doing all the right things but you're not quite playing as well as you want to play. So he's keep he's got to keep beating that drum all the time, no matter what the result is, because the odds are they're going to win. They don't lose many games in the URC. So he's got to keep beating the drum that even though we won, it's not where we want to be. The standard has to be higher. We weren't perfect. And it's a hard one to keep beating because, you know, at some point, you know, do, do the players do, do the players miss that? We know we're winning by 30 or 40 points. We can't be that bad. But he's right in the sense that, you get to the back end of the season and you get into a knockout game where all the chips are on the table and you don't play that well against a team who are going to be a lot better than your average 
opposition in a final or a semi-final and you can get caught and then there's no silverware. So I think that's his big challenge is even though they're performing well and winning and, and look, you know, they're untouchable is that at some point of the season that can catch you out. You know, you if you're not in dog fights every week, and this is a problem that maybe New Zealand faced. And if you talk to New Zealanders, just to take away, away for a moment, New Zealand are worried about the World Cup because when New Zealand get into dogfights, you know, they lose them a lot of the time. And, you know, New Zealand win by 20 or 30 points. They're, they're, you can't touch them. But if you ask any New Zealander what's their big fear for the World Cup is that New Zealand get into a dogfight in the quarter or the semi-final and they don't they don't make it out. So that's kind of a similar place where, where, where Leo is. He's trying to keep the standard as high as he can, even though they're, they're winning well, uh, and call out when he doesn't think they're playing up to scratch. Because at the end of the season, one of those days can cost you your season. And that's the tricky part, you know. It's a good problem to have, by the way. It's not like most coaches would trade for that. But yeah. that's, his, that's, his, that's his challenge all the time. Poor Leo. Oh, go ahead, Ian. Poor Leo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's got a tough gig there, Leo. That yeah, it's uh, it's brutal. One of the one of the things he seemed to be pretty annoyed about last weekend was discipline, and it's it's been a little bit of an issue for them so far this season. Going into last week's game against Glasgow, they were they were above that kind of that ten penalty a game mark. I think they were just under twelve per game. There was another fourteen, I think, they conceded in the game against Glasgow, and more than ten of those in the opening half. So they have had a tendency this season to be conceding a lot of penalties and with the damage Ulster can do with their mall, if they can get into the 22 and get some, some line out ball there, that is like, that's probably the, the big area of concern, the big area to work on for them this week. Yeah, hundred percent. And that's probably why Leo was so wasn't, wasn't happy with the performance. It was probably down to their, their discipline. Realistically, when you get into those, those cup final matches or those European semi-final finals, um, like they, they come down to small margins and it comes down to discipline. You in those in those finals or semi-finals, you're looking to keep your penalty count between six and eight. Because as you said there, you don't want teams like La Rochelle or even Ulster this weekend kicking to the corner where their ball is is so good and you're just giving them access into your 22. So discipline is massive at at any even talking about AIL, you want to go back to that, like discipline is massive at any um, level of rugby and especially at that that level when it's the, the fine margins, those fine inches that are going to get you those results. So I say that was Leo's biggest uh, bugbear after the Glasgow match. Now, sometimes referees do it when you're winning by a good bit, they start giving the upper hand to opposition, they start giving them more penalties, but... um. I think Leo would was was trying to make sure that the Leinster team stay focused because I think it could be coming down to to one small margin on the weekend against Ulster and that could be a penalty kick into the corner and a mall try. Yeah, and Eddie just just giving them the access. I mean, it's 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 what Ulster absolutely feed off. You look at the amount of tries that Rob Herring scores. That you know Tom Stewart was added or has been added in a few games now this season. Like they're. They're absolutely lethal when they get into the twenty-two and get a, a sniff at a sniff at a rolling ball. You find out with the top teams in general is that if you give if you load them into the kill zone, they'll kill you. You know, like if you give them that access that Ian talked about, that soft penalty around the halfway line or the ten meter line, and suddenly you're defending a wall, you know, five meters from your goal line. Most good teams, when they get into that area of the field, tend not to leave without, you know, getting some return, whether it's five, whether it's seven, whether it's three. You do that often enough, 
and you know they'll just choke you out over 80 minutes so yeah I, I would see that's a concern because Ulster have a you know probably their 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 pack is in some ways this year has been their 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 big step up because their mall is powerful their scrum is good their line is good and and they're carrying well so they're they can share the load with the backs. Like there was probably the last couple of years, the Ulster pack weren't given the backs that sort of platform. And we know the Ulster backs, that's probably one of the best back lines in the league. You know, they've got serious gas on the outside. They've got two big centers in the middle of the field who can carry. Um, it's a tough back line to defend against. So if you're going to give that Ulster team access into your 22, um, soft access, you're going to, you're going to pay a price. So I, I think Ian's right. That's, that'll be a worry if it, it, like, I think they all would be comfortable if they can keep Ulster under 22. They're probably going to survive the weekend and, and probably get a win. But if they're disciplined, and that's the one thing that discipline can kill you is it gives access to the opposition into key areas of the field, which are very hard to get out of against good teams without giving up something. Yeah, and I mean, Ian, that was almost the story of the game when they met up in Belfast earlier in the season. It was Leinster were, were pretty much comfortably on top until they started to fall the wrong side of the penalty count and and Ulster were able to get that access. Exactly, and if you actually look at Leinster's first try, it was a, it was a, it was a, it was penalty kick to the corner and Maul with. So Leinster's, Leinster's Maul is pretty good. And we've seen how many tries Dan Sheehan can score from from that range. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like that, all the top teams that we just talked about there, they have an effective Maul. Like they've got a Maul that, like all all it takes is get, making sure eight eight players are aligned. Make sure you win the line out, and it's once that mall is set, it's so hard to so hard to stop. So when we talk about the the game, there, uh, yeah, when the conditions were bad, and we're kind of getting into that season when the weather is starting to turn, um, so a, a lot of teams will start playing that kick territory game, start looking for more penalties, more kicks into the corner, be a lot more mall tries, a lot more pick and go tries. It's that type of, that time of the season where that's going to be a play, and I, I I don't expect anything, especially with the games coming up, obviously, we have uh, this match in the weekend. Then you've got European games, and then you have what back to back into pros over over Christmas. All these matches are going to be won and lost with uh, discipline, kicks to the corner, uh, and an effective mauling uh, mauling uh, structure from the forwards. And one final point on on this game, I just want to go back on the the Ulster backs as as you were talking about Eddie. The last couple of years, they've they've had as good a backline as almost anyone. And all young players coming through as well, and and someone who was probably on the the fringe of that backline wasn't really getting a huge amount of starts in the bigger games last season, but it seems to have really really turned it on this season. In my opinion, anyway, Stuart Moore, and he was on the Emerging Ireland tour as well a couple of months ago. Did really really well, and he seems to be one of these players that's quite in fashion over the last couple of years. Of he's incredibly versatile. He's excellent in the centre played full back the other night against Zebra. Now I know there's a gulf in class between Ulster and Zebra, but it's he seems like one of those players who's just very, very comfortable in any position he plays. And, you know, is is he potentially someone who could put a lot of pressure on Mike Lowry, for example, for a, a starting full back place? But how how would you see his role in the team? Yeah, I I think he's every year Ulster seems to produce a new player on the scene, you know, whether it's Go back or, over or Lowry or Balakoon or yeah Balakoon, um, you know, and and he he's the latest ideation like that's come on the scene, but it just adds more strings. But he's a talented player. But I mean, I suppose to be fair as well, Ulster are playing really well, and there's plenty of opportunities for a player like him to take him. You know, 
So I think he has, yeah, he could. He they also have this capacity to move, be able to move guys around a bit, and 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 they, they do it, they do it quite a bit. So I, I mean, he's played really well. He's made a big impact. Um, like I think he's going, he's go, he's going to put pressure on 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 the on McFarland to put him in the team somewhere. But then again, there's lots of other guys going to do that as well, you know. So he's he's a guy who's if you pick him up and picking on form, he gets in the team. So where do you put him? Yeah, and who do you come out? It's like the old thing is somewhere when you someone says, "Oh, you should pick this guy." I well, say, "Well, who do you want to drop?" Because somebody makes loses out, you know. And people always people always think about well, picking guys. They don't think about the guy you got to leave out. Yeah, um, it's fine. That's the job. But my point is, you need if you're going to move somebody out of position or leave them out, you need to you need compelling reasons to do that. Or why you're going to make that change? But I think yeah, there's there's plenty of options in Ulster, and I, I tend not to get maybe you know. Players have good runs of form. It wouldn't get home open. I think also strength at the moment is their strength and depth. You know, uh, in the back line that they have lots of strengths to their bone. Now they've got serious pace. They've got great ball carriers, and they all they can all play. Um, so you know, and I think McCluskey having a good autumn with Ireland as well is only going to improve him again when he's a key guy for them. So I think they're all they're in a good place, Ulster. But if you want the final taking it, I still think Leinster will win the game. Yeah, that's what I was. That's what that's the question I'm leaning towards. That question, I still think Leinster will win this game because it's it's such an important game for both teams, and Leinster at home. If Leinster were going to Ravenhill because Leinster got out of Ravenhill by the skin of their teeth earlier, I was up at it and it was in a monsoon. Mm. And Leinster had the game sewn up and they lost their back into it, and it, you, I, I think they were very lucky to get out of it. But um, having said that, I think this is a different week. I just. I just think Leinster will get this done. The, this it's such an important game. Plus the fact <clears throat> it gives them huge breathing space at the top of the league. I mean they're already. I think they're already eight points ahead. Eight, yeah. Uh, and so yeah, Ulster have the game in hand, but yeah, Ulster have a game in hand. But I think you know, burden of hand is worth two in the bush because yeah. that game is now in South Africa that Ulster have in hand. And also, th- there's uncertainty as to whether that game will actually be replayed as well. Exactly. So what? But my point is that you know. Oh, Leinster, if Leinster get that double digit lead at the top of the league, it takes huge pressure again off them in terms of how they manage their resources. So, but that's why it's an important game. But I, if you're asking me, it's a tough call. Like, it could be egg in my face, you know, on the weekend. But I just think in these situations at home, Leinster tends to get the thing done, you know. And I think last year they got caught, you know, they got caught at home in the RDS, um, you know. I remember I remember watching the game and 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 you know Ulster used a blitz defense on Leinster and they didn't adapt to it and that led to the intercept at the end actually that blitz defense but like Leinster were kicking themselves out of that game because Ulster got them on the night and you felt if they played the next day might have been a different outcome but mm. you don't get that opportunity so I think there's a lot of there's a lot sitting on this for Leinster so I think that's what I'll get it done it won't be yeah, easy be a great game I think yeah I think if Leinster win this as you said they they go to a twelve point lead. This is this is a, a ten game block in a row for for all teams. They've already already played one, but if they win this game, it just frees them up around yeah. that Christmas time. I know we talk about getting like into pros being fully competitive, but it's a great chance for Leinster to go twelve points clear. Then they can start resting more players, more of their squad gets game time in 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 into pro matches, which helps develop them, and then they can just pick and choose. Uh, they can almost plod their way through this ten block game without actually, uh, you they they they'll use all their squad, but they'll still pick real strong teams 
throughout and they'll pick matches that they can really target and go after. And it, it, it's going to be a huge advantage if Leinster win this match over this 10-game period. To go back then, Keats, to the, the derby at the weekend, Thoman Park, Munster 24, Connacht 17. <clears throat> um, Probably one of those games where if you were to, to look at them, for Connacht it would have been a great win, but Munster had to win. Like, they absolutely had to win. Yeah, I, I was talking on Game On during the week, and I said it's very rarely in November you have a must-win game, but it literally was a must-win game for Munster. And at least they backed up their performance against the South Africa uh, Club's uh, 15 select. So, and, and listen, it, it was a better performance. You could see them clicking. They had that nice balance between a kicking game and, and a running game. Um, and a few players are starting to actually probably nestle down a little starting uh, seat. Like I think Antoine Frisch, Frisch was a really good player and everyone was was talking about uh, Malachi for the whole time. But it looks like Antoine Frisch might, Frisch, I can't say, uh, might be the starting 13 going forward because he, he's done uh, he's done really well and he's just linking that, like nothing special, but he was just linking the play well, that connecting between the forwards and the backs and controlling that midfield area. And he was just putting the ball into the right space at the right time. So, yeah, yeah, and even uh, on the South Africa game and into this one, Eddie, he just looks to be a very, very calming presence in midfield there and just, just linking up the play very, very well. Well, he's probably a classic French centre. And, you know, and believe me, there's not that many of them even in France. You know, and, and like he's a very smart footballer. So as, as Ian said, he doesn't do anything wildly spectacular. He just does all the right things. So my point is, it's very simple. If you're a centre... Um, in attack, your key decision-making is whether you pass or whether you run. That's it. And whether you kick is the third option. But let's take that off the table. It's not his priority. And Frisch is one of those guys that nine times out of ten will do the right thing. If it's on to pass, he'll put somebody into space. And if it's not on to pass, he'll find a seam and he'll go through and he'll win a collision. He's not a big guy. So he's an exceptionally smart footballer. But he just does the basics really well. But if you get somebody in the middle of the field whether it's, you know, like a centre is the key guy who makes those smart decisions all the time in that 13 channel, it makes a massive difference to all the players around him <clears throat> because he's putting people into space or he's getting over the gain line. And that's all you can do as a player, as a centre. That's your job. You put somebody into space or get over the gain line. And he does that really well. Whereas a lot of the centres you see now are kind of one-trick ponies. You know most of the time they're going to truck it. They're going to carry. He's got that extra dimension that he can carry the ball. He's not a big guy, but he picks his seams really well. He gets into space between defenders, but he doesn't have to make a massive carry run over somebody. But his key is his his lines of running are superb, so that he's able to put people into space. So I, that's why he was so stand out, and everyone was kind of talking about him for good reason. But he brings that, and I agree with Ian that he if 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 like let's be honest, Monsters attacking him has not lit the world on fire, you know. But having some of him at 13 could be a game changer for them. You know, so I, I think, yeah, he's a guy to watch. Um, they need to get the ball in his hands, though, as much as possible at the right moment. But I agree, he's, he's a, he's a bit of, he could be a bit of a game changer for Munster. Not because he's running over people or not because he's, you know, an Anton Dupont type player. He's, he's not spectacular. He's just so accurate, so smart, and makes the right decisions 99% of the time. Ian, to... To go back on maybe even in the last couple of games before the international break that they lost through to the South Africa game and now Connacht at the weekend, are we are we starting to see or or get maybe a better idea of 
what Munster are looking like under the Graham Roundtree, uh, the Mike Prendergast, Dennis Leamy coaching ticket? Yeah, I, I do think so. Now, the start of the season was tough, obviously bringing new coaches, new style, new, new game pattern, but they also had quite a lot of injuries as well. Mm-hmm. They were really struggling. I was in there around the place and they were literally they were struggling for players even for to get 15 on 15 and train them which is is absolutely massive um now even in the last few weeks and because of that south africa game it was like the weather wasn't great they actually started they, they kicked a lot more in that game yeah uh, more than more than they have been they've been trying to run absolutely everything and you actually saw more glimpses of it again against connacht they actually started kicking the ball more and what happened was they were kicking it, then they were getting a kick back, and then they were they were trying to have a go and attacking against a bit more unstructured D. So I think they've developed that part of their game as well. So I know everyone's looking at their attack, but they've they've started to kick more to get a bit more broken field um, space to attack. And I think that's why their attack is kind of coming on a bit. Um, I know it's kicking almost seems like a negative thing, but sometimes you need to do it to, to create a bit more space. And also... They, they scored two tries from mauling tries uh, from we, we talked about it earlier the mall like their mall hadn't been firing they weren't getting it's almost like a cheap cheap five points cheap seven points when you can kick to the corner you, you give it to the forwards and they maul and they just do their job and and get a try like they, they haven't been doing that and they kind of brought it back again over the last two matches their their mall has been really firing and as i said it just it just picks up the crowd it picks up the whole atmosphere and you can see that the players are enjoying it again yeah and, and like the to speak about the mall but even on the other side of the ball their defensive mall over the last couple of games has been really really good against South Africa they South Africa went to it two three times throughout that game and got absolutely nowhere and certainly against Connacht there was definitely one I think it was in the in the first half where Munster held them up coming up towards half time as well as they were they were coming close to the line. So like it, it shows it's, you know, putting the ball into the corner and setting up a mall, Eddie, is is far from a gimme because there are defenses out there who can deal with it very, very well. Yeah, it's a hard thing to defend though. I think that's why team like teams go to it because the advantages with the attack and team. And but can be defended and Munster have have done that. But just talking about just if we could go back to Munster's attack, I think there is green shoots there. And I, I think Ian's right in saying that maybe they're working off the basis that they're happier to attack off of um, uh, counter-attack on structure play than they are off maybe set pieces. I still think that, you know, looking at Munster last weekend, there's two takes out of the game for me. One is that their goal to their goal to play is still their kick to the corner. Yeah. And, and if I was playing Munster in the morning, my whole ambition would be is discipline and not give them access to your 22. Munster still have, and I, I know Calvin Nash got a good try, but that was off a of scrum. You know, and there, was a, there was a good break. But like in terms of Munster building an attack or breaking down a defence systematically over six, seven, eight, ten phases and scoring, they're not there yet. And I I think there's green shoots, but I don't see it. I still think Munster are still going to depend this season unless things change and they're kicked to the corner. So, the problem for Munster is when you defend them around the 10-meter line and you don't give away a silly penalty. And it's hard to do that, to be fair to Munster, because their ball retention is excellent. And they do, they'll do they take it through 10, 15 phases on the, on the on the 10-meter line, and eventually somebody will go fall on the wrong side. It's a penalty. They'll ping it in the corner. And if Munster get into your 10 meters from your goal line, they're probably going to score. That's their bread and butter. 
But I think the problem for them is as the season goes on, that's not sustainable in terms of winning big games because once teams don't give you access, you they're not able to create that. So I, I think the jury's still out for me. I think there's green shoots, but they need to start deconstructing teams from further out and scoring tries from further out to be the complete package. And I do think as well that they were ex- they were really lucky last weekend. They got a couple of huge refereeing decisions went their way that I, I think were just bad calls. Um, certainly John Porsche, yellow card, was I couldn't believe it. I mean, Porsche just stood his ground and, and Carby ran into him. That's how I saw it. And give that a straight yellow. Now, maybe you say, okay, it was a penalty, but I don't see what a yellow card was in that. And and then there was the the penalty reversal for tackling Hodden in the air. And again, if you look at it, Hodden had jumped after he got the ball, not before he got the ball. You know, so... That they were huge, two huge calls that cost that cost Connacht, and I'd say Connacht didn't say anything because you don't say anything anymore because you know you're not allowed to say anything unless you're as Erasmus. But you know, like you know, the coaches bite their lip. But I would say I felt for any friend because they were game changing moments. Now, had they not gone Munster's way, and Connacht sneaked the win. What would the conversation be today? Like you yeah, got to we'd, we'd be saying some very, very different what things. is glowing about Munster, and my point is, you wouldn't be, because if you had, let's say, Connacht had had, because Munster got a couple of tries at key moments. Let's say Connacht had sneaked that, you know, with a penalty even. Um, you'd be saying, oh, Munster, obviously, Munster. Well, they didn't really produce much. So, like, uh, you've got to look at it through two lenses. It, 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 like, it, it's always easy when you win to get carried away and say, oh, we did this well, that well, the other thing. Well, the truth of the matter is. I think that yellow card on Porsche changed the game, and 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 kind of kind of lost the game based on that. And I thought it was a very harsh call. Now people will say I disagree with you, but the point is, had that call not gone that way, Munster mightn't have got out of jail. And then what's the conversation? So back to my original point, I think there's a way to go for Munster yet. Like they're still they're playing better rugby. I agree. They're they're. They're throwing the ball around more. They're Keith is right. Ian is right that that they're 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 basically playing out on structure play and trying to build that way. But you still go back to they're still dependent, heavily dependent on you giving up a penalty, them kicking you in the corner, and then choking you out in, in the kill zone. Um, I think that's going to be the big shift from to make. And as I said, it's green shoots, but I'm not I'm not sold on it yet. I don't think it's there yet, and I think there's a way to go. No, that. That's probably harsh, but the truth of the matter is they still they, and every game the problem they have now is every game is a must win game, mm. given where they are in the league to try and get up and get out. They've got to get into Europe next year, so like they put themselves behind the eight ball here, and it's a, it's going to be a, a tough season and it's not over yet. Um, we are running out of time. I do want to talk about Connacht and attacking issues seem to be kind of plaguing them so far this season. They. They were a disaster in defence early on in the season and it seemed to to sort that out as the season has progressed. But we're seeing nowhere near the the kind of levels of attack that we would have over the, la- the last couple of years. And it's something that both Andy Friend and, and Pete Wilkins have been had to speak about quite a lot. They, they, they just don't seem to kind of be... They don't seem to be exposing the holes in other teams. They don't seem to be threatening. They don't seem to be stretching defences like they were. Is there is there any particular reason, we'll say, why... Why a why a team can kind of go from hot to cold so quickly in one area of the pitch like that? Uh, well, just what Eddie was talking about there, saying like those key moments with the yellow card or porch, like when he was saying that, like once he got out of trouble, I was like, well, 
if you actually think about it, Connacht, like Connacht didn't actually fire that many shots in the match. Like they got one intercept try, which was a <clears throat> mistake from, from Mike Haley. Um, I know Marmion scored late on, but they didn't really look like scoring. So what we're talking about there, that attacking prowess. I I really think that Bundyaki is a big catalyst for for uh, for Connacht, and when he's firing those those two matches last year against uh, Leinster in the European Cup, Bundyaki was immense. Like yeah. he was he was just their Cali. He was their he was their go forward man. He was their their link. He was their drive, and I thought he was going to make a big difference on the weekend, but he just he didn't. He looked a bit of a, a shadow of himself. Um, now to to put all the attacking. Uh, Paris just on one guy is a bit unfair. So they do need to find an, another dimension to them. Um, and, and listen, it could be literally, a, 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 and I, I say it's an easy fix, but it's not an easy fix because I, I, I know how it affects it. But like their confidence is shot. And when your confidence is down, you don't see holes. You're, you're a bit more, um, you're a bit more restricted in your play. You, you think more hitting the, the front door rather than, hitting the guy at the back and getting the ball to space. It, it Confidence is, is a big thing in rugby and it's a hard thing to fix. And it, they, they look like they're, they're shot of confidence and, and they're not, I think they're afraid just to play, play freely. I think they're, they're kind of gone back to like, am I doing the right thing? Um, and that's what, and that's when, that's what happens when, when your attack isn't firing, the coaches come in and try to fix two or three things, but then that's when the players are like, you start focusing in on on small details when you still need to play freely, if that makes sense. Like when, when you're attacking well, you're almost not thinking that you have you have front door, you have back door options. You've got you've got multiple multiple options at at the line, and it looks like Connacht are are overthinking things at the moment and not playing as freely and and offloading like they like they used to be. I, I think, Ian, what you're saying there, I think you hit the nail on the head with the Bondiaki part of it, uh, for sure. Um, and you're right, I think their confidence is a bit rattled at the moment, um, and that's a factor. I think when Bondiaki is firing, they're a different team. I 100% agree with you. And maybe it's the fact that he was out of the game for so long, suspended. He didn't have a huge... He didn't have a huge play in the autumn with Ireland. Um, and now he's come back to Connacht. I, I do think he, he really... Really was very quiet last weekend. I couldn't believe how quiet he was. He didn't really have an impact on the game. And when he when he gets a, when he has an impact on the game, Connacht look a lot better because it's it's like he's the he's the catalyst for them. Like I always felt McCluskey is the catalyst for Ulster and their back line. I feel Bundyaki is the catalyst for for Connacht when he's threatening the game line with his carries and players have to condense on him. That's when the space is open up around him. And Connacht were always smart at using that moment where to let. Bundyaki carry or go out the back or wrap around off him, and they seem to have lost that sort of mojo around him. And I think, I think if if he gets back into the zone again and starts to have bigger impacts on games, get the ball in his hands more, um, that could free up a lot of space around him. And and suddenly, if they get a couple of games under their belt where they click, it, that could be that could be the switch for their confidence to come back. You know. But at the moment, there's no doubt. It's a fair comment to make that their attack, like last year, the defence was their bugbear, and they've they've actually fixed their defence pretty well. It's much better than it was last year. But now, for some reason, their attack has gone to sleep a bit. But I still think it's there. But I think Bundyaki is the key, and they need to activate him back to where he's he's the key guy. He's the fulcrum of their attack. 
either he's taking the ball up or he's condensing defenders and, and they're playing out of that off the space he creates. And so they, they need to get him back in the zone. And and I think if he had a bigger game last week in Limerick, and you know, they might have had a different outcome, but he didn't. So it'll be interesting this weekend. You know, they're playing at home against Benetton. Not going to be an easy game. Benetton are a dangerous enough team. But I think you, I'd be, that's what I'd be watching is Bundyaki. Is he getting back to where he, he's that, that talisman for Connacht? And we all know when he plays well in the Connacht short, the team seems to grow out of that, you know? Yeah, Connacht and Benetton. That is live on RT2 this Saturday afternoon, 3.15 kickoff at the sports ground. Uh, final couple of bits to, to chat about, guys. I might go on the international stuff first. So the Autumn Nation series officially wrapped up there at the weekend. Uh, Wales somehow losing against Australia despite being I think about 19 points ahead during the second half and South Africa with a well-deserved win against England and it's it's brought up a situation guys where we've two coaches Wayne Pivak at Wales and Eddie Jones at England under enormous amount of pressure after pretty disastrous years for both of them um a year out from a world cup there are people calling for coaching changes uh it seems to be splitting opinion particularly in England uh where Eddie Jones, I think that he's had this kind of World Cup focus now for a while, and ultimately, it it I, I find it interesting, Eddie. It's a it's a nice way to go about things, where you can buy yourself three years with pretty poor results, saying, "Oh, we're building towards the World Cup," and then when things get their lowest a year out from it, you say, "Oh, we're too close to the World Cup now to change." I mean, it's. For me, that's a nice way to buy yourself four years. Yeah, I think you've got to look at it in the perspective that, like, certainly, you know, some teams look at the World Cup in terms of or the performance of their team based on whether this is going team is going to win a World Cup. You know, we're more grounded in Ireland. We're talking about well, let's this team Ireland could break the glass ceiling, go to semi final. If we get semi final all bets are off, you know, so that that's where we're approaching it. Whereas England, New Zealand, France probably are thinking every time something goes wrong, we're not going to win a World Cup playing like this. And that's that, that they're always hovering over the panic button. Um, so, I mean, I think the boring thing for England is that they were comprehensively beaten by a South African team physically as well. You know, English teams, whatever you say about them are physical and they, they, they will bring that against any team in the world. And they got dominated last week, and it's the last game of the of the of the of the season of the season. So everyone's in a bit of a panic. I suppose it comes back to um, at at this late stage with coaches, like it is a massive thing to shit. If they were to any team to change its coach now, less than a year over the World Cup, was a massive shift. Because well, let's play that out. So a new coach comes in with new staff with new ideas, and like. Then they say, "Well, I need time to bet in." <laughs> There's no time to bet in, you know. So it's kind of a: Do you really want to go down that road? Like it's a massive risk. Or do you go back and you say, "Well, look, okay, things aren't good at the moment, but at least you have a coach in place who knows the players, knows what's going on." And probably the players get a say in this, you know. What do the players think? You know, um, is is that the guy they want to lead them into the next World Cup? It's kind of at that moment where the players probably have a, have a big say in it. So it's probably instead of you know, probably panicking and 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 jumping up and down. What the unions will be doing is talking to the players, the group, the players group, because the the squads are pretty set now. There's no big surprises coming into those squads for the World Cup. Mm. 
and, and the players would have a say. And, and then if the players say, well, look, no, you know, this guy isn't for us, like, which is a bit late in the day, you'd have to consider it. But you might find the players go, yeah, look, we're not playing well, but we, you know, we believe this guy can get us fixed. So they're the conversations, I think, you know, that will probably be had because they're the they're the main factors. Because the, sh- the notion of bringing in a new coach now, when you're literally, you know, you're into Christmas, so you're eight, eight months over World Cup, that shift is, is so cataclysmic that it's almost like you, you've given up, you're taking up, you're just rolling the dice going into the World Cup and hope something sticks for you. You know, so I, I, I think it's easy for people to jump along and say, oh, we have to make a change now. The same people will be jumping up and down when you get knocked out of the World Cup for making the change. So I, I think it's a very difficult place to be. And let's take the Wales situation. I know they imploded, but they, they'd scored 34 points. So they must have been doing something right. Do you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't complete... The catastrophe was losing the lead like that and, you know, falling apart in terms of their defence and their discipline and eventually getting caught by an Australian team who weren't the best in the world. But something had to be right when they scored 34 points. So, like, it's, mm-hmm. it's again, this, this knee-jerk reaction that either everything is brilliant or everything is brutal. Like, there's something in the middle there. And the question is, do the... I think at this phase, the, if the players believe in the coach can take them to the World Cup, they should let the guy get on with it. Um, and there's fixes there, but everyone's got fixes, you know. So I, I just think people tend to lose around themselves when when things aren't going well, and they think, you know, like let's do something cataclysmic, and and it'll make we all be better. And Keith, the final point on it is the the optimistic side of you for for England and Wales, the fact that they're on the they're on the easier side of the World Cup draw, like. England, England were beaten by Argentina, who they have in the in in the pool this year. And England, a few weeks ago against Argentina, were pretty terrible. So they they don't have to make a significant improvement to to be better than an Argentina and to finish top of that pool and and have a solid shot at getting to a World Cup semi final. Yeah, I, I and, li- and likewise, likewise Wales with Australia and theirs. Yeah, I think Eddie will probably use this and. Be like, okay, we're coming in under the radar here. Let's let's see. He'll probably he'll twist the story around to make everyone's sure. out, everyone's out to get us. Nobody yeah, believes us. Us. Yeah, yeah, I did this on purpose to. Get us <laughs> is this is this what you're doing against against Navin this weekend? Is it? Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, we're coming in under the radar. <laughs> well, I think I think when Eddie Jones, like, I think that draw against New Zealand, uh, they obviously beat Japan. I know they lost. As we talked about there, they lost to Argentina. But if you actually watched the start of that game. Like they could have taken three points, six, uh, three, six, nine early on, but they actually started kicking for the for the corners. It's like they were trying something. We, we want to go for tries early on, and they end up losing by what one point twenty nine thirty, I think it was. So, I think if that was a real test match, England would have kicked the, kicked their points a lot more. They probably could have probably easily beat Argentina. So I think that's the approach Eddie Jones is picking out, and I think it's more media driven about um. People are trying to get him out. I and as Eddie there, as he said, there, Eddie said there. I think the players like Eddie. I think they respect him. I think they know he's onto a good thing. He got some. He got them to a World Cup final last time out, and they probably shouldn't have got to a World Cup final. So I think they do believe in his approach. Um, and then with with with, with I I think he's probably a little bit more under pressure. I know what you're saying there, Eddie. That they scored thirty four points against Australia, but they. I think that loss to Georgia and then obviously the loss to um, Italy at the end of the Six Nations. I think that puts a lot more. Pressure. I agree with you. And I think the context is that, like, it's it's the what I was trying to point I was trying to make there is that 
everything isn't wrong when you can score 34 points against Australia. That's my point. So there, there has to be fixes there for them. But as you say, as Pivak, the man, yeah. But I had, I'll just make one comment is like about England and Wales, despite where everyone thinks they are, they're in a terrible place. Are we going to take them for granted in the Six Nations as a rollover? No. No. <laughs> of all teams, Wales come out in the Six Nations and light it up. You know, I know. I, I actually I actually know quite a few. A, a couple of friends have texted me saying, just for some bizarre rugby reason, they actually feel worse now about going to Wales first game up in the in the Six Nations based off everything that's Hopefully. happened over the last few weeks. <laughs> I mean, they're wounded animals now, you know. So, like, despite of everyone saying how what a disaster they are, you know, and that's the general narrative, they all have to make changes. Like, we're we're going to face those two teams, and and we're not taking, you know, we'd be very foolish to assume these are done deals by any stretch. You know, so like England and Wales aren't gone away. You know, they've just had a bad run. It's a bad time for a bad run. There's no question. Because everything at this time of the year, with a bad run, everyone projects it onto the World Cup immediately. I would say, I don't think, I, I don't think England are going to change. And I don't think they should change, actually. I agree with Ian. I think the English players play for Eddie Jones. Like for me last year, I was in Twickenham when we played against 14 English players for 18 minutes practically. And we got out of jail in the last 10. And I remember saying that day to somebody, those English guys will play for Eddie Jones. Now, they're playing for England as well. Don't get me wrong. It's not just that. But, you know, he they, they played they played their guts out that day. We took 70 minutes to beat them. So, like, I don't know the situation in Wales with Wayne Pivak. I think I agree with Ian. He's on thinner ice. Um, but having said that, Wales can turn things on a dime. They're, they're just like that. And um, then... And then just, we talked about it earlier, those small margins, discipline. Let's look at a few, like England drew 25 all, lost Argentina by a point. They beat Japan. I know they lost a bit more by South Africa, but then Wales lost to Australia by a, a score. They lost to Georgia by a score. They lost by Argentina 2013. Once again, like they're actually quite small margins. And at test level, those smar- small margins, that could be, a penalty kick to the corner, as we talked about earlier, that discipline. So I'm sure that's what uh, Wayne Pivak and Eddie Jones are saying. Like, lads, those small margins, if we can just turn that around, we'll, we'll be in. And and, and with Razi Erasmus's tweets that he puts up, like like the one kicking the ball out. Um, let's 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 not let's not start on that. We're, well, we're, sorry, we're, we have, we have we're time. We, we might need another hour on this podcast. We're bringing, but, but that's <laughs> but that's what. That's what international rugby and even rugby is all about. Those small margins, and that's what he was playing at there. Is how can you win those small margins? Yeah, we'll we'll see how those international gigs play out over the next twelve months. Uh, one thing, anyway, it doesn't look like Ron Nogara is going to be taking any of them. Uh, reports in France this morning saying he's about to sign a new deal with La Rochelle. Uh, pulling the oldest trick in the book on us there last week with those uh those comments on England, but um. That's where we leave it on the podcast this week. Eddie and Ian, thanks a million for joining us. Best of luck with your games this weekend. Ian, you're, you're Navin, is it? And Eddie yeah. Banbridge? All right. Well, very best of luck with those on Saturday. Uh, that's it from the RT Rugby Podcast. A reminder, Connacht against Benetton is on RT2 this Saturday, after, or on RT1, I should say, sorry, and the RT player this af- Saturday afternoon, 3.15 kickoff. And then on RT Radio 1, Saturday, 7.35, you can get live commentary of Leinster against Ulster. We'll speak to you again next week. Ready, cheers now.